0: hello everybody and welcome to the starting small music podcast i'm your host justin mccormick and today we have a very special guest we had rich Redman, drummer for jason aldean rich has been on tour with jason as his drummer for over 20 years and has over 30 number one hits as a session drummer i had such a great time talking to rich he's honestly one of the nicest guys i've spoken to in the music industry and you guys are really going to learn a lot from this episode i'll see you at the end all right, guys, welcome to the Starting Small Music Podcast. Today, we have Rich Redman, drummer for Jason Aldean. Rich, how are you doing today?
1: Justin, what's up, man? Hey, that's my middle name. Isn't that crazy? Really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> what made you uh, decide to go by your middle name for your name on the road then?
1: Oh, no, that's just my middle name, Justin.
0: Oh, Justin. Richard is your
1: Justin best. Redman. Okay,
0: Yeah. Cool. yeah, well, yeah. Rich, is, Rich is my dad's name, so we have two connections right there. That's crazy, man. Awesome. So you grew up in Connecticut and started playing drums around eight. Uh, What drew you to the drums specifically, and did you grow up in a musical family?
1: You know, I'm not from a musical family. Uh, My dad is an accountant. My mom was a nurse. A lot of folks in my family are uh, in the medical field, doctors, nurses, respiratory techs. A lot of that going on but I was like I want to play the drums I think but secretly my dad kind of encouraged me to do it because I think my dad wanted to play the drums you know so he's like well let this kid do it and they got me lessons super supportive parents I think I was actually like six or seven years old because I remember seeing some method books you know some drum method books that said like 1976 so um, it's been an amazing journey a lot of years playing this instrument I was just drawn to him you know I think uh, you know we're lucky some people in life, they find their purpose, they find their passion early on, and I was just one of those fortunate guys, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so who were some of the first artists or bands you remember really listening to as a kid that got you into it and realized, like made you think, like, this is something I want to do as a career maybe one day?
1: Yeah, well, sure. On the radio in the 70s, I think that's one of the golden eras of music was, like, like sixty four to like eighty two is kind of like a golden era, you know. I'm sounding like an old guy. Like get off my lawn.
0: Oh, I agree. But, uh,
1: but uh, there's just some great music from the seventies. Uh, a lot of a lot of singer songwriters, one hit wonders. Of course, you have like the the Carole Kings, like these iconic records like Tapestry and stuff. But I was listening to a lot of album rock. So you know your Foreigner, um, you know your all the the bands, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the Led Zeppelin. And I, was, I would be listening to the radio, and I was, I was this nerdy kid. You know, I learned how to read music early on, so I would, like, sit down. I would transcribe the whole Foreigner record, you know, drop the needle, try to, like, learn the stuff. And it was great because reading music was, is so powerful. It's made a real difference in my career. But a lot of those bands – and then when I, I – ended up moving to El Paso, Texas, because my dad got a job in Texas. And Texas has this awesome music education culture. So, really, what, when I said, I'm going to do this with my life, there was a band called the police and they had a record that came out called synchronicity in 1983. Of course, this was the MTV era where we were like, so excited. We're like, wow, we can watch videos and concerts all day long on television. And that really helped me and, you know, informed my skill and kind of drove my passion. I was like, I'm going to do this with my life. So Stuart Copeland was a big hero. He was a drummer in uh, the police.
0: Awesome. So in El Paso, what age did you start playing around town or like start doing gigs in church or out in the club scene?
1: Yeah, I, I uh, joined the fifth grade band and then uh, middle school band. And then in high school, I was doing, you know, uh, all city, all region, all state symphonic band. Uh, symphonic orchestra, jazz band, pep band. I had my own bands, did solo and ensemble competitions, you know, so I was playing in school really heavily into the academic thing, which is great because I got to learn snare drum, timpani, glockenspiel, how to correctly play the crash cymbals, get a great sound on the triangle, like all this stuff that kind of informed my touch on the instrument, got into playing jazz and all that kind of stuff. And uh, like I said, always was playing outside of school. So inside school, Outside of school, then I ended up getting uh, two degrees in music. I got a degree from Texas Tech University in music education and percussion and also got my teaching certificate so I could teach in the state of Texas. Uh, And then I got my master's degree at the University of North Texas, kind of very famed university, played in the one o'clock lab band there, which is one of the greatest collegiate um, jazz bands in the world. It's actually a a professional organization. They, you know, we recorded a record record. live in portugal 1994 that was really really cool and then after that i moved into dallas and was playing in like top 40 bands and playing on jingles and playing in the big mega churches and it was just kind of like sucking the marrow out of life you know trying to get as much experience as possible meet as many musicians as possible but i knew that i would have to get to a new york la or a nashville and that happened in uh, march of 1997
0: Wow. So even before you moved to Nashville, you basically had, like I saw online, you say 1988 is really when you say you really went professional. So you had like a 10 year period before you even moved to Nashville. Do you remember, is there a specific like incident or like memory that like made you finally take the the move like to Nashville?
1: Well, yeah, I just saw that like a lot of my friends that I went to college with, I went to college with, you know, Keith Carlock, who went on to play with like, you know, Sting and the Blues Brothers and John Mayer, you know, he, he moved to New York like a year before me and I had a, some friends, uh, Blair Cinta, he went on to play with like Alanis Morissette and everybody was like making their move to the coasts and I was like kicking around Dallas. You know, I really wanted to go to Los Angeles because I love the weather there, love the palm trees. I was really into playing like smooth jazz and fusion music at the time. So I was like, I'm going to go to L.A. And then I got an opportunity to audition for uh, Trisha Irwood, Dina Carter, and Barbara Mandreau. And they were like back-to-back auditions, you know, where I was flying to Nashville, had to learn all their material, had one week to prepare, made all my notes, got a new outfit, booked the flight, booked the rental car, you know, driving to the audition, shaking hands, trying to like, get a gig in Nashville. And I really did really great on the auditions. The skill set was there. The ability was there. The attitude was there, but the location was not there. And in the music business, location is everything. You know, if you're really going to make your move um, to get your career to the next level, you really have to be in one of those three coasts. Totally. And so... I gave my band two weeks notice. I had a band called random access in Nashville. I'm not uh, in Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. and they are still in business, big corporate party band, play all the clubs five nights a week. And I just said to myself, um, this is great, but I'll do this forever. Cause there was a glass ceiling on the Dallas music scene. So right. I gave my band two weeks notice and loaded up and moved to Nashville in 1997. And I quickly ran into my buddy, Jim Riley, who went on to do 20 years with the rascal flats Wow. And uh, we just kind of crashed parties and sat in with people and made friends and just, it was a really awesome time of our lives. where We were kind of manifesting our dreams and bringing everything to kind of fruition. It was a really magical time. Matter of fact, I had lunch with two young drummers yesterday, like 20 and 22 years old. And I was like, guys, you are in the best period of your life. You might be eating ramen noodles right now, but it's a, it's a really special time because this is when you're bringing your dreams to life.
0: Totally. So after you moved to Nashville, how soon after that, uh, what year did you meet Jason? And do you remember the specific day or where you were at when you first got in the room with Jason?
1: Yeah, Jason Aldean is, um, I'm very grateful for that situation. It's a relationship that has just showed up time and time again in my life and all the guys in his band. Jason is my melon, my Mellencamp, he's my Sting, he's my uh, Billy Joel, he's my Elton John. You know, as a drummer, you really have to surround yourself with somebody who's gonna have really great songs. Great songs are the key to everything. You know, before you're gonna get that drummer, you gotta have a really well written song. So I was uh, playing around town with a guy named Kurt Allison who's still uh, Jason Aldean's guitar player. And he introduced me to a guy named Tully. Tully's uncle worked at Warner Chapel or had a publishing deal at Warner Chapel Music. Jason was writing songs at Warner Chapel Music, so it was like a synergy. We all got together, and we started doing showcases for Aldine, uh, playing on demo sessions, doing regional gigs with him. And that was the year was 1999. So I guess we're looking at like uh, you know twenty three years of finishing each other's sentences and smelling diesel fuel and just sweating blood for each other and just trying to take the music to the people and. It was not an overnight thing. It was a slow and steady climb, and we enjoyed every minute of it.
0: Now, you said, like, like you said, it's been over 20 years that you've been with Jason now, and you have a very cool story with him because not only are you on the road rocking with him every night, but he has you as his session drummer, and, like, that's, pretty, that's not always the case in Nashville. How does that feel to have the trust of a man like Jason Aldean to not only be his guy on the road but have him, have, like, hold down his records as well?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, I me before um, before Al Dean. Uh, me and the guys are in a band called Rushlow. We're on Lyric Street Records, and we played every note of that record as well. And. And as, as grateful as I am, I was never going to take no for an answer. Like I was always going to be a recording drummer and a touring drummer. And they I think they they cross-pollinate and they inform each other, but it is great. Just that whole team that's been together forever and it comes from the top. It comes from Jason Aldean, he comes from his the trust of his management, and it comes from his producer, Michael Knox, who's championed us since day one, and has has uh you know said, let's let's have something different. Why hire the same Five drummers, bass players, guitar players in Nashville that are playing on every record. Let's uh, let's do something different, and let's have use the same guys. And it's uh, been incredible. Yeah, it's it's awesome to hear yourself on the radio or in an elevator or a department store, or your mom's like, "I heard you on the radio today, son." Or you know, it's when someone says, "Hey, is that you playing on the new such and such song?" And yeah, that's me. And they could tell it's you right away. But yeah, Alvin's got a very unique sound, and that comes from that just this awesome collaboration with his entire team as producer Michael Knox the guys in his band the session the other session players that kind of round out the sound we've been recording at the same studio since day 1 drinking the same coffee using with the same engineers it's like um if it ain't broke don't fix it you know and, and it's it's a good thing it's an amazing team life is life is about surrounding yourself with like minded people you know people that have uh, the same goals uh, dreams they want to nurture the same they wanna get the same things out of life. So really fortunate to find these people and to call them not only colleagues, but but friends. Life, uh, We finish each other's sentences
0: for sure. Totally. So for like a specific uh, studio story, a, a huge song for you guys is Dirt Road Anthem. And that's such a different song when it came out on the platform. I remember like, cause up until that time, you really hadn't heard the hip hop influence uh come into uh the country world as much but jason has always had that with rock and you played on that session what did you think about that song before it came out and did you know it was going to go on to be one of the biggest songs to be released on the platform
1: yeah we never know you just what you do is every time you're presented with a new song you just try to sweat blood for it bring your passion to it bring your energy bring your skill set and be in that moment and that's your that's your job it's almost like you're a you know marine or something and you're going in the night just to assassinate someone you know it's like that bring that song to life that's the job um and i knew cole ford i knew brantley gilbert i actually played on the brantley gilbert version of it and for his record deal and then then it never came out he was kind of pursuing like a crossover pop deal at the time but really well written song super unique and um you know, it's programmed on a drum machine. So it was like, how can we bring this humanity, this humanity this Because it was just like a static loop the whole time. So once again, when your influences show, um the first verse of that song, I went to like a Stewart Copeland, like four on the floor, and of the cross stick, which is like very reggae kind of world music kind of brought a different energy to that and then on the second verse i took a page from my friend liberty devito who did 30 years of billy joel yeah uh, billy had a song called pressure it's like with the with the snare like on beat three Mm -hmm. and so i kind of stole that so it's like you know good composers borrow but great composers steal and we all just steal from each other and the music making songwriting gods were with us that day and it resonated with people and it kind of changed the sound in country music and gave permission to a lot of other people to do what's kind of happening in pop country music today. So awesome to be first on the scene and to be invited to that
0: party, you know, Totally. So after 20 years of being on the road, what's one song that still gets you so excited to play every night? Like when that one's coming up, you're like, oh, heck yeah, like I'm going to ball out on this one.
1: Yeah, yeah. I You know, I like them all. There's a song called uh, Any Old Barstool. And it's just like such a well-written song. It's like the perfect marriage of like a three chords in the truth storytelling country song, you know, from the old days, you know, with like a super modern production and kind of like this, like, this band sassiness to it. So I love that. But at the same time, we always got to enjoy playing Hicktown because it's the song that started it all. People okay. hear that kick drum. And there's 24,000 people there. They got all their there used to be lighters, but now they're cell phones. And you do, 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 do. it's so fun, you know. And today I was just, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole and I saw a video of us from like 2008 opening up for, for Tim McGraw. And I was kind of forward thinking in the sense that I always had a flip camera or a GoPro or even before that, like a camera on a tripod. And I would film myself. And I was like, man, 2008, that was many years ago. There was so much fire and energy and passion and swagger it's like we really had something to like prove to people Mm -hmm. it was like we were just like these young gunslingers that really had something to say and um i'm happy to say that all these years fast forwarding we still have that energy you know we still have that commitment to the passion and the performance and never mailing it in and being entertainers not just guys that bring a song to life, but, you know, really, truly trying to be entertainers, you know? And so I was like, wow, that was cool to see. I, I guess I still got it, man. And you know, that's still, you know, the still having it thing is just, it just is a decision. It's like a decision to be happy. You know, it's a decision every time I play that song, even though I played it a thousand times um, is to play it. Like it sounds like I'm playing it for the first time. And the whole band is like that. We share that, Philosophy is Jason as well, man. Jason's a great singer, super consistent. I think in the twenty something years we've been playing together, I think we've only canceled like one or two shows because wow. of his voice. You know, he just he just brings it every night. And so when you have somebody out there that's 20 feet on a parapet walking into the crowd and they have that kind of commitment to their performance, you know, you you bring that same A game, that A plus energy, hopefully, every night. That's my goal is to um Bring that childlike abandon to my job.
0: You know? So, what can fans expect this year on the Rock and Roll Cowboy Tour? What are you seeing in rehearsals, and are you excited for the summer to go back, go back out on the road?
1: Yeah, we've got um, just some spot dates happening. Of course, uh, Jason released a double record. The second half of the double records dropping in April, so there'll be a lot of TV shows. We'll do be doing all the morning shows, all the late night sh- shows. Um, There'll be some festivals happening. Then we'll probably go into rehearsals in June, and then there'll be a tour that'll be July to October, and it'll be the same smiling faces on that stage, you know, with a total commitment to each other, a commitment to bringing those songs to life and enjoying every second of it. And uh, we just, I can't wait. It's gonna be awesome.
0: And uh, last question for you, we always ask our guests, what's your advice to drummers or just musicians out there that may be in high school, practicing their craft, wanting to move to Nashville one day, what is your advice to those um, people out there? Well, what
1: do you play? What, are you a songwriter what do you do?
0: I'm an artist songwriter uh, pursuing country music, Yep.
1: All right, man. See, so you're really forward-thinking here. You got the podcast, which is a great way to connect with people. Great. Love it. Um, What was the question? Uh, oh, advice. Good yes. Advice, yeah. So yeah. So, you, you know, location is everything. So if you want to write songs, it's really best to be in the songwriting capital of the world. And that's what Nashville is like all day, every day, people are writing, putting stories to chords and bringing a song, bringing a story to life. That's what we're really doing is telling a story. So if you want to be a songwriter an artist a song plugger an instrumentalist a touring musician a recording musician it can be done and there's all these other jobs that are connected to the industry stylists pr people social media managers bus drivers road chefs uh all these people that make this stuff happen these jobs exist in nashville because we have this big machinery of this whole web of stuff and to bring it up, to make it all happen, you've got to have all these jobs and all these cogs of the wheel all kind of fit together. So if you're passionate about music, get to Nashville, crash some parties, shake some hands, put your best foot forward. And you know, hopefully you have a skill set that has been cultivated and nurtured through those 10,000 hours, you know, 10,000 hours of effort. And that's how you become an expert. And then even when you get there, you still got to be putting your best foot forward, never having a bad day, never mailing it in because you never know who's watching. So say yes to everything. Do those co-writes, do the open mic nights, take every gig that comes along, um, have a smile on your face, be enthusiastic, be passionate, and be patient because there are no overnight successes. Most overnight successes are people that have 10, 20, 30 years in the trenches, right? And if you chose the right thing to do with your life, it never feels like hard work. And it's so, since it doesn't feel like hard work, it's so easy to get up and do it every day, all day. And the more time you put into it, the better it increases your chances for success over the long term. So have the skill, show up with a smile on your face, make it about people, never make it about yourself. Like for me, my job is not about like, look at me as a drummer. My job is to make the job that we're doing on stage super easy for that band, make Jason comfortable, bring those songs to life. Rinse and repeat day after day, tour after tour, year after year. And that's how you get a job, and that's how you keep a job in the music business.
0: Well guys, there you have it, my conversation with Rich Redmond, rich thank you so much again for coming on the podcast i had an awesome time talking to you everyone go follow him at rich redmond on instagram rich is also a motivational speaker if you'd like more information on getting rich to come speak at your event visit his website at richredmond.com and finally, go stream Jason Aldean's new single, Trouble with a Heartbreak, right now. The song features Rich on drums, and you can also see Rich this summer on Jason Aldean's Rock and Roll Cowboy Tour. And make sure to come back next week for my conversation with ACM nominee for Keyboard Player of the Year, David Dorn. Follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.